Marini's Media. Totally Football Show, European Edition. Today, what goes on behind closed doors? The goals, the geisterspiel, as continental corona concerns reach fever pitch. We'll be having a special look at the state of play and at the midweek Champions League games with huge fixtures ahead for Liverpool, Spurs and PSG. All in this Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. Hello, continentally curious listener. Thanks for joining us. It's nice and cosy here in the studio today. We've got Alvaro Romeo. Hello. Hello to you, Alvaro. James Horncast was here. Hello there. He's been tested twice now. Julian Laurence, have you had a test? Have you had a swab? No, not yet, no. no. And Raphael Honigstein. Still untested at this level. Right. <laughs> uh, uh, let's have a round of headlines. James. Well, we finally got to see the Debbie d'Italia, James, albeit behind closed doors. Wonderful goal from Paolo Dybala. Mm. One of the... Best goals of his career. Uh, we also saw Milan take some quite extraordinary action. They decided to terminate the contract of one Zvonimir Boban after uh, Zvonimir went rogue. Right. Jules, in France, meanwhile. We had AVB uh, losing his chisel as Marseille dropped two points against Amiens in the last few minutes. I love I loved that expression, losing his chisel. Right. Uh, PSG didn't play because their game became the first one to be postponed away at Strasbourg, which is a cluster for coronavirus. And Lyon missed out on their probably last opportunity to uh, close down on the top three. Rafa, you're enjoying the pairing there of PSG and Cluster in the same sentence. Well, Shut yeah, up. it's um, it's uh, it's a word that has come up before when it comes to PSG games. Uh, what was it? The third year anniversary this week, uh, Jules, of yeah. the uh, of the what? Barcelona How remontada. They hold on to that first leg win against Barcelona. Oh, I've got I've got a list of. The, the karma that PSG have had in the last few years since the Qatari took over which right. is pretty impressive I'll, I'll keep it for okay, later Okay, Jules' list is coming up Also from Germany what's on the way? Well, Germany the biggest sporting story I guess was Borussia against Borussia and Borussia won uh, okay. black and yellows 2-1 win a great goal from Torgen Hazard and they are now the uh, closest and perhaps the only contenders to wrest the title of Bayern who also won against Augsburg Okay and Alvaro? And in Spain, Barcelona regained the first spot in La Liga after losing El Clásico, which is something that uh, sets a lot of doubts over Real Madrid and their capacity to, to stay in the first position because they don't seem to be reliable, neither Barcelona. And uh, as it stands, it wouldn't be surprising if none of them make more than 80 points this season, which is uh, far worse than they've been doing over the last 15 years. Wow. Okay. Also, you've got an all-Basque Cup final, which I know yes, you're going to be very excited to, to tell us all about. The other big story, though, as we say, is coronavirus, whose impact on organised sport is escalating uh, day by day. Players from the Danish league have been quarantined. Uh, members of Ajax's coaching staff in Holland uh, uh, have been uh, also quarantined, including uh, Christian Paulsen. France, uh, you had your first game suspended, Jules, as you mentioned. All league on games as well are going to be behind closed doors, they've just announced, yeah, until mid-April. Can, yeah, the decision is, is uh, that was made uh, last night, late last night, was that every sporting competition or any gathering of more than a 1,000 people can't happen. So if you've got less than a thousand people at you know your party, for example, that can go ahead. Monaco so are fine. <laughs> you got that. Ah, that's good. That is good. Monaco will be fine. No, even Monaco will be behind closed door, which won't make a much difference, to be fair to them. But yeah, so yeah, all league and games and league league two as well uh, will be behind closed door next weekend. 
rugby games have been okay. postponed even in the in the Six Nations. Okay, although PSG's like game with BBB is, is as it stands going ahead behind closed doors, but the rugby's been postponed from the weekend. So yes, it exactly. also in Paris. Yeah. Uh, Italy, who are for once ahead of the curve on on things here, are actually suspending the season. The rest of the previous round's games did go ahead this weekend, but the new sports minister calling it an irresponsible decision. The federation then responded to him, all right, we'll make a decree about it if you want. We had that bizarre set of circumstances on on Sunday uh, when the lunchtime kickoff between uh, Palmer and Spal was delayed by 90 minutes um, because you mentioned the government drafting a decree. They had issued one um, that day, um, basically saying that um, certain regions in Italy would be quarantined, including Lombardy, which is where Milan, Inter, Brescia and Atalanta play. And all sporting events uh, would be postponed, uh, but City A would be allowed to go on and City B would be allowed to go on behind closed doors. That decree did not go down particularly well with Damiano Tamasi, um, the head of the uh, Players Association, who registered his dissent saying that he feels it's an unnecessary risk even for players to be playing behind closed doors. And the Minister of Sport, seeing that, agreed with Tomasi. And then went on TV and basically said, yes, I don't think we should be playing. But you raise a very salient point, James, in that in terms of the law as written and pushed through Parliament, City A was allowed to play those games behind closed doors. And uh, it just felt that there was a lot of confusion created by um, the sporting minister um, in in basically saying, yes, I'm all for what Tomasi says. Right. Um, and until... That was clarified in terms of, I think, legally. Um, the league called the Players Association. They thrashed out um, what they were going to do, and Palmer Spell ended up going ahead. Mm. But I think Tomasi, it's really interesting seeing the reaction because over the last week, we haven't really heard from players about whether they wish to continue and keep playing. And uh, after the statement he put out, players have come out either on social media or speaking to the rights holders after games uh, of the weekend, like Mario Balotelli saying, yeah, I don't believe we should be we, we should be playing. Mm. Um, because we have seen teams in uh, lower leagues, um, the third division, for example, like Pianese, where four players uh, were diagnosed with COVID-19. Um, we've seen Provocelli today, another third division side, with an illustrious history, um, deciding that they are not going to be playing until okay. uh, April 3rd. Um, so, Given this groundswell um, of opinion kind of endorsing, uh, following what the rest of the country is doing and in postponing things until April 3rd. Right. And what do you think about the prospects in the months to come? Uh, we have a question here from B. Colic, who says, what's going to happen with the Euros, in your opinion? Obviously, this is wild speculation, but <laughs> as it stands, the way things are moving, there's a fair risk. And there's been talk of the Euros potentially even being postponed by 12 months. Yeah, well, FIFA would love that, of course, if they had to move their uh, illustrious club World Cup uh, to another time because UEFA muscle in with the Euros. I mean, in Germany, the ambition, the intention is very much to finish the season one way or the other because they think that clubs cannot plan effectively for next season if the season doesn't finish in May. You don't know what division you're in. You don't know what, what kind of money you're making, what kind of competition you're in next year. So I think they will try, come what may, to at least play this out behind closed doors. Uh, there is a, a wide assumption now that next weekend will be behind closed doors in most places. 
Germany still is is very regional when it comes to making these decisions. The local authority can make these decisions, which is why Leipzig Spurs is going ahead. In the area of Leipzig, in Saxony, in that uh, land, that federal state, there's only been 10 cases so far. And because the opposition come from the UK, which is not quite seen as a risk state just yet, the local authority basically said, yeah, we don't see a reason why we shouldn't shouldn't play. But in North Rhine-Westphalia, which is the most populated uh, region of Germany, which also has the most football clubs and the most cases, there is increasing political pressure to move everything behind closed doors, which would affect on Wednesday Gladbach-Köln, uh, uh, the rearranged uh, derby in the Bundesliga, um, possibly the uh, Leverkusen game against Rangers on Thursday, and then, sadly, the big Ruhrpott derby between uh, Dortmund and Schalke as well. So it looks like all these games would be Geisterspiele, as you as you said in the intro, mm. ghost games. Ghost games. With um, not a lot of action, as, as far as the PSG, crowd are concerned. PSG, for example, are going to try, would love the game against Dortmund to be postponed. But it's just, I don't think it's practical. I don't think they'd be allowed. I don't think they would be that. They tried everything they could to avoid the, the behind-closed-door decision. So they had that big cleaning company coming and literally disinfect the whole part of the plant from top to bottom, every handle, everything. Uh, they wanted to ban people who live in those clutter, again, clutter areas to come from the game and we just reimburse the tickets and you, you can't come in just to try to convince local authorities to leave it as it is with fans. But that was clearly not enough and, and I don't think the, they would be able to get the game postponed anyway. And I'm not sure it would make much of a difference if just postponing it for one week. I think one of the problems that we've seen in Italy this weekend is that Okay, they've taken the decision to play games behind closed doors so crowds don't gather, but they still do gather around wherever the team is. So, for example, Inter were playing in Turin against Juventus. They got there the night before, stayed at a hotel, and then a crowd is gathered looking for essentially autographs and selfies and photos outside their hotel, which is a risk in itself. So football going ahead, even when those games are being played behind closed doors, has repercussions which could, in theory lead to the the spread of the virus and this this situation not getting any better which i think uh from a, res- a responsibility point of view i think that's one of the reasons why there is now this groundswell for them to just stop the the championship altogether right. for the next and two given weeks. the way that italy is currently about a week ahead of the rest of europe it feels like in, it, with the mm. with measures with the spread of, of this virus i wonder how much that's going to start being an idea in other domestic and indeed european competitions yeah. alvaro yeah, I was going to say that uh, you're going to stop sporting activities from happening. And uh, I believe that uh, that is something that in Spain they have to start taking very seriously. From now on, La Liga and the Spanish FA, because they are not talking yet about uh, playing behind closed doors, uh, let alone stopping the competition. But also the local authorities and governments, they should be addressing what's happening with, uh, for instance, the festivities like Las Fallas, uh, which happen in Valencia. is. Uh, a million people normally go there and spend a couple of weeks and uh, what they do in Las Fallas, basically they burn some dolls and uh, resembling politicians and resembling uh, sportsmen and plenty of people from Italy, uh, from France, from different parts of Spain go to Las Fallas in Valencia and uh, that hasn't been suspended yet. Yeah. And uh, Las Fallas start in a week time, I believe. Mm. So... Uh, what is the point of stopping every sporting activity if the rest of the festivities and activities don't go in hand with that? Very true. All right, well, Champions League is 
going ahead this week. So let's start talking about some of those matches. We'll begin with the Champions League game in Paris because this could be our last chance all season. You're listening to the Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. PSG taking on Dortmund on Wednesday. Clong behind closed doors. 2-1 from the first leg. That extraordinary brace from Erling Haaland. But equally, you did get your away goal, though. So how confident are PSG of turning it around, Jules? They, they seem very confident. They That was before we learned about uh, the game being played behind closed doors. But I don't know where they find that confidence. I think uh, it's still a team that is not very good collectively. That you're not sure if you can really rely on your like two leaders and two superstars in Mbappe and, and Neymar. So Neymar's back fit now? He's back fit. I think, I don't know if it's a good thing not to have played at the weekend. You saw Dortmund having a very intense game and a very tiring game against Gladbach. And I don't know if not playing was a good thing for PSG or not. Yeah, okay, they, they won't get tired. But I think a lot of their players, especially the ones who came back from little injuries or something that I could have done with a bit of game time, including Neymar. Mm-hmm. So the fact that he didn't play might be a good thing or not, I, I, I don't know. But I, I just don't think they are right now collectively good enough to turn this round. I think they will concede a goal. So that means they will have to score at least two to get to extra time and, 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 and more than that. I just think it's, it's a bit of an imbalanced team. There's key players like Variety missing him through suspension. So I don't think he's looking very good, but in this, on their side, this, they, this, they believe they can do it. Rafa? Well, Dortmund are, are a lot more confident than they were when the draw was made. Um, they were really not happy. They felt that against PSG, the way that they themselves are defending, that this was always only going to go one way. Then I think they surprised themselves to a certain extent. Uh, Emre Chan has made a huge difference uh, to the team in terms of stability and, and presence. And is also... I think provided a platform for the players up front to play with a bit more belief and freedom knowing that they don't necessarily have to score four goals every time because one or two might be enough that the defence does hold. Uh, it's still, I think, a 50-50 game. The fact that there are no fans is, is clearly to Dortmund's advantage. They're not, not upset about that at all. And you have to say that at the moment, with the kind of form that Sancho is in and Haaland is in and, and even Torgan Hazard showing signs of, of coming back to his best... It's tough not to see them score at least one goal, at which point, of course, PSG have to score three if they want to go through or two to extra time. So I think Dortmund have a really, really good chance here. And um, the way that they've been sort of managing games and getting results even in difficult places, and Saturday was a good example of that, would make me semi-optimistic that they could do it. PSG's lost six knockout games in this competition. How many have they won? One, one, yeah, one of them. One I mean, if you look at the car, I mean, it's pretty incredible. If you look, if you go back to 2013, they drew 2-2 with Barcelona at the Parc des Princes in the first leg of the quarterfinals. Then they go away to Barcelona. Messi's on the bench because he picked up an injury. PSG scored, Pastore scored that goal uh, with Ibra assist. And then you've got this iconic image of Messi on the bench pulling his socks up. You know he's going to come on. <laughs> and then he went pear from there. He came on. David Villa scored. He made 1-1. We out on, on the way goals. The year after that, 2014, quarterfinals against Chelsea. It's a great 3-1 win at home. Second leg at Stamford Bridge. They drop deeper and deeper and deeper. 87th minute. Then Baba, of all people, scored with his shin. Right? The year after that is the David Luiz injury. And he goes and gets uh, horse blood. Right. You know? Uh, horse, on, horse blood. Horse, horse, horse blood. Oh my goodness. Treatment. Yeah, equine... Plasma. Yes. yes. Okay. 
Indeed, I call it horse blood because yep. then he was. <laughs> Isn't it the placenta? Yeah. yeah, then he was humiliated by Suarez and Barca destroyed right. us pretty okay. much. After that is the remontada. All right. Then you had the incident with the pigeon. Yeah. We had we we also had uh, the Neymar injury the last two seasons. Right. We had an incredible game against United, and we also had the, the game against City in uh, in 2016 where Laurent Blanc thought he was Pep Guardiola and starting doing some. So you guys are due. Tactics. You're due for a break, aren't you? No, I just think it's it's in our DNA. That's that's the thing. You, you know, mentioned like, karma before yeah but this is a bad one and I think there's a curse there somewhere and I don't think Wednesday is going to change that you were suggesting it was like Qatar karma or something well I don't know if it's Qatar karma but it's a fact that since they took over there's always something dramatic happening on those Champions League nights and the fact is that whether it's from our own making or the opposition or the referee or anything it's just not happening for some reason which is quite incredible you cannot undermine the draw as well PSG has been tremendously unlucky every single year with the draw, that's, uh, even, that's even, true. Even when United. you played, yeah, United. Well, I mean, United is, yeah, you're right. United, the, United was easy that year. Was supposed to be, but, even but City, the rest of the opponents, man. Even City in 2016, they were not good. They were, it was, that was not a very but good you, team. You beat Chelsea the round before. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. And, and then, uh, and then Laurent Blanc, like I said, really thought he was a good manager. Hasn't worked I mean, since. I said it many times. I've said it a lot of reasons. We were what a club to support. It's pretty, pretty remarkable. James, what do you think? Who's going through? I think PSG will go through. Oh, I love you. you know, <laughs> just to jinx it. I love you. Shut yeah. up. <laughs> yeah, but wait till you hear what happens in the quarters. I'm sure. Mm. Uh, that same night, uh, European champions have a do-or-die clash with Atletico, who are 1-0 up from the game at the Wanda Metropolitano. Uh, you will recall that uh, it was an early goal, wasn't it, from Saul after Liverpool's yes. back line went to sleep a little bit, which they've been doing a, a rather a lot of late, not looking as focused or intense. Alvaro, here's a question from Kenny Gavin, who says, does Diego Simeone have anything special planned for the Liverpool game? I watched Atleti against Seville on Saturday and I'm buoyed with cautious optimism that Liverpool will progress. Anything special, I don't know. Uh, four holding midfielders, probably. That would be the answer, I guess, to try to keep the scoreline as it is. But uh, I believe that we are going to see a very similar pattern to what we saw in the Wanda Metropolitano with Liverpool pretty much playing at Atletico de Madrid's half all the time. And I believe it's inevitable that Liverpool, if they are placed there, they are going to have big chances at some point. In fact, they did at the Wanda Metropolitano. Mohamed Salah had one. Henderson, I believe that he had another one. And I think that Atletico de Madrid... They did the perfect game against Liverpool, but that hasn't been the trend this season. In fact, since they played against Liverpool, they have conceded four goals in three games. They've uh, also been scoring a lot more as well, haven't they? Yeah, that's true, because I think that uh, they have had a little bit more confidence after, and they are more pumped after what happened mm. against Liverpool. Joe Felix is back, and uh, against uh, Sevilla, he played a really good first half. I mean, he touched the ball very few times, but... Uh, Every time he, he had the ball on his feet, he did something special. Alvaro Morata scored the penalty. And uh, Diego Costa is back as well. But the thing is, I would like to say something about Diego Costa here. Uh, he has had a quite complicated surgery. Uh, he had basically surgery on the cervical disc herniation. He's got a metal plaque uh, in his back. In his spine? Yeah, in his spine, yes. And uh, basically he's not confident going for the headers. Last week, uh, there are reports that uh, Atletico de Madrid were training, so were doing some training drills in which uh, heading the ball was basically the 90% of it, and Diego Costa decided to withdraw from it right. because he was scared to head the ball. Right. So if you want to play against Liverpool, and Diego Costa, I believe that he will play some minutes against Liverpool, mm -hmm. 
and you're going to play against Joe Gomez and Virgil van Dijk, you want a fully confident striker. So maybe the Diego Costa that we know or we knew from the past will no longer be as uh, ferocious uh, because, again, he seems to be a little bit weakened after that surgery. Okay. But if you're Simone and you watch that Bournemouth game and even the Chelsea game, mm. and you, you, there's, a, there's a lot of weaknesses in those two games to think that you could, you could re- try to reproduce, like right. pressing Fabinho, for example, who is clearly not back to his best. And maybe Simone will go like, you know what, maybe we should play a bit higher on the pitch than, than the low block that everybody expects them to play and, and maybe go and put them under pressure a little bit right. instead of just waiting for them to create anything and then kick the ball every time they have it. The absence of Alisson, uh, a major well, concern. Yeah, of course, for, yeah, for yeah, yeah. Liverpool, it's yeah. Quite true. It's a big absence. And Atletico de Madrid, in all fairness, uh, they are in a better condition, at least uh, when it comes to numbers, than they were uh, three weeks ago. Because I remember that the likes of uh, Trippier, Joe Felix and some other key players weren't there mm. in the first leg. And right now Atletico de Madrid has the full squad available. I don't know if uh, Thomas Lemar is going to be ready, but uh, anyway, with Joe sure. Felix being back, I don't sure think that he was loss. going to play. Not sure that's a big <laughs> loss. Yeah, exactly. And uh, well, actually I cannot recall anything that Thomas Lemar has done well. Uh, during his stint at Atletico de Madrid. Okay. He's earning he, a lot of money, trust me. <laughs> he's done he, that well. <laughs> that's the thing he's doing best. But with Joao Felix back, uh, I think that Atletico de Madrid has the possibility of counter-attacking better. How key is Henderson's return to fitness for Liverpool? Who? Jordan Henderson, oh, George. Oh, the player of the Give year. Give it up. Yeah. Yeah. Player of the year because he missed four games and now people... Yeah, and what happened in those Come four on. games, Jules? Exactly. All right. Well, listen. Last so time, uh, last last time, Liverpool were in the situation with the deficit to recover from a uh, an away trip to Spain. Of course, they they did so in magnificent fashion in last year's competition against Barcelona on the way to the final. I'm sure a lot of Liverpool fans are thinking back, comforting themselves with that memory. But I, I'm also thinking about their last Champions League match at Anfield when they only managed to draw with a less than irresistible. Napoli, 1-1, no, in game week five of the group stages this year. Mm. Draw this time around. It's not enough. No good They've for them. been a little yeah. bit off in the Champions League. Yeah, the they whole. have been. Uh, maybe it's inevitable after winning it and after concentrating on the league that you somehow lose some kind of sharpness. Now, though, I think that it might tilt again mm. if they <laughs> stay in the competition, of course. All right. Uh, Are they going to the stay in the competition? Soon but logic says that Atletico Madrid should be out. I mean, they are... 13 or 14 points off the pace in a very average Spanish league. And Liverpool, they are breaking every record. They are, Alvaro. Just whether that record-breaking form has deserted them at, 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 a, at a delicate moment. Who, who's going through, James? I think Atletico will go through. No way. Liverpool. Jules? Liverpool. Even if Henderson is a, is, is a miss. I was kidding. But they will go through. They will put this one right. I think Liverpool will do it. Yeah. Right. And Alvaro? I say that. Liverpool. Okay. <laughs> James, the contrarian. James, I mean, no, like... Uh. Very good. Two more Champions League uh, games coming up in the midweek action. That's on Tuesday. Leipzig, uh, Spurs and Valencia, Atalanta. We'll turn our thoughts to those next. Join Ruby Walsh, Paddy Power, Tom Nugent and a whole host of great guests each week on Paddy Power's new racing podcast, From the Horse's Mouth. Tune in for analysis, interviews and a bit of crack. Ruby is the expert. Tom holds it together and Paddy, well... Paddy's funding the whole thing, so he insisted that he gets to be involved. <laughs> the first episode is available to download now. On Spotify, smart speaker and podcast platforms everywhere, this is the Totally Football Show from Muddy Knees Media. 
Alrighty, Tuesday's action sees uh, Spurs visiting Leipzig. Spurs goes 1-0 down uh, after Timo Werner's penalty at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. Also, Tuesday night in Spain, Valencia trying for a comeback against Atalanta. They're behind closed doors at the Mestalla. Atalanta 4-1 up from the first leg. Prospect, Salvador? Not good, I, huh? I, no, I think that the game can be very entertaining. Okay. Yes, yes, because uh, Atalanta-Valencia should have ended with a higher scoreline, even more than a 4-1. Mm. And uh, I was very puzzled with how easily Valencia created chances against uh, Atalanta at San Siro. Vaz, uh, who is a very average uh, crossmaker, he was putting the ball in the box and uh, short strikers were able to volley the ball, to head the ball. So I believe that if Valencia has the belief and if they try to be next to the Atalanta's uh, box, they will create chances. Mm. All that said, obviously, Atalanta is the favourite because they've got, number one, a more defined style. Uh, Valencia, I think that they are still finding themselves a little bit. And uh, because Atalanta, they've got more dangerous players up front. That's a fact. I mean, this season, Valencia, uh, they don't have any striker that you are saying, this guy is uh, breaking every record or at least he's a match-winning guy. Uh, Rodrigo, who will be back, fortunately for Valencia, has been doubtful until the last minute. Kevin Gameiro is not performing well. Maxi Gomez is out with an injury. So I believe that Atalanta, in the chances that they will certainly have, because Valencia will have plenty of uh, distance between their defenders and their goalkeepers, uh-huh. Atalanta has better strikers. Atalanta didn't play this weekend because they'd already fulfilled their fixture from the round the previous weekend. And what a fulfilling result it was. A 7-2 victory over Lecce in the, in the most recent performance. Uh, you're quietly confident here, James. Quietly confident, although you'll remember, James, that the last um, Italian team uh, to take this kind of advantage to Spain... Was it Inter? No, no, it was Milan against Deportivo La Coruña. Oh, that was a 4-1. Oh, yeah. my goodness. Beautiful oh night. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> so, psychologically, how you manage these nights, and we see it in the Champions League all the time, at, well, certainly in the last few years, teams who look home and hosed in the first leg, PSG, um, then throwing it away in the second leg. I'd still be surprised because, as um, Alvaro has mentioned, it's not just the problems that Valencia have scoring goals, it's that centre-back partnership as well, which was tried and untested going into the uh, the game at San Siro with uh, Mangala and, and Diakabi. In fact, Coquelin may be a centre-back against uh, Atalanta and he doesn't have, obviously, any knowledge about how mm. to play in that position, I believe. I also think Atalanta will be better defensively in this game than they were in the reverse fixture. They did a lot of chances. They did, but I think part of that was they lost their centre-back in the warm-up, one of them, and the guy who came in hadn't really played for the last two years, Mattia Caldara. I think to some extent that has a little bit of a, an impact. But this is a team that scores so many goals. You mentioned the 7-2 win against Lecce. It was the third time they've scored seven goals in a game this season. Um, so I'd be confident of them getting an away goal. I see. All right. Meantime, Tuesday, Leipzig hosting Spurs. Leipzig, who lost second spot in the Bundesliga this weekend after their second straight draw. This one was goalless at Wolfsburg with uh, Timo Werner on the bench, at least to begin with. Yeah, he came on, but he failed to make a telling um, intervention. Um, Leipzig, for the second week running, were a little bit anemic, a little bit devoid of a spark. 
Uh, I think... Um, Do you think the focus has been on the Champions League? I don't know. I think Julian Nagelsmann is puzzled as much as anyone else, saying that in, in a footballing sense, it didn't quite click for us. Mm. Um, they had enough possession. They had, they had a very decent team out. They don't have many uh, huge problems up front when it comes to injured players. So it's very difficult to explain. Um, I guess the bad news for Spurs is that um, a at home it's a different should be a different um, Leipzig side, and also we haven't seen too many performances this season from Leipzig where they just don't happen up front. Um, there's been a few, but then they've always come back and looked very very good, and uh, they're, they're the goals tally still speaks speaks for itself. So it should be very difficult for Spurs to come back, especially if they go there with this kind of defeatist attitude that, that Jose has been alluding to in the, in recent weeks, um, saying we can't possibly cope with uh, all these injuries. No manager in the history of football has ever had to deal with such a flurry of absences. And You can't come back from a 1-0 defeat at home in the first leg. Never. It's impossible, basically. <laughs> he's just getting, <laughs> which in would make, he's getting in Leipzig's mind. Yeah, yeah which would make a 2-1 you know, a, mm. a win a real miracle and a, and a masterpiece of, of coaching. Is that what's going to happen, Rafa? I don't think so. I think Leipzig will... But it's will not be, impossible. No, it's not possible. And the one thing that, that Spurs might have going for themselves is if the game stays 0-0 for a while... Maybe that kind of um, psychology that James talked about might kick in where you're thinking suddenly, oh, you know, you're afraid of, of losing mm. the advantage and, and then you become, deeper deeper, yeah. yeah, then you become a little bit too inhibited and don't play the game anymore. But they had similar fears about their own lack of maturity before the first leg, Leipzig. They were quite nervous and they overcame it quite brilliantly. So I think in terms of the team's development, there are no real any indications that they will lose their nerves. So I think they will try and win this game early, putting a lot of pressure on this um, Spurs team to to basically try to kill any hopes of a of a resurgence. And um, I think with a crowd that's really up for it, and especially with, with the knowledge that this might be one of the last few games for the next few weeks Ooh, that you can um, actually attend. Mm. It might be a tricky evening for Spurs. Well, there's Europa League as well coming up on Thursday. We'll touch on some of those fixtures later on. After this, though, we're going to take a quick trip around the world. If there's one person who knows football, it's the Totally Football Show listener. Now, if only there was a way for you to harness that know-how, you know, for cash. Well, that's why we've teamed up with Football Index. Football Index is a platform for buying and selling shares in the world's top players. You use all your footballing insight to build a portfolio of the players you think will rise in value, and then you win dividends when your players perform on the pitch or in the media. You can download Football Index on Android and iOS right now, and when you sign up using the code TFS20, you could win a signed shirt from the football team of your choice. Nice. That promo code again, TFS20. Search for Football Index to find out more. It's over 18s only. Full terms and conditions are at trade.footballindex.co.uk slash TFS. And of course, begambleaware.org. You're listening to The Totally Football Show with James Richardson. So, 
Global Football Jewels. How about Woof? That Carlos Tevez Thunderstrike, which won Boca Juniors the title. Indeed. On the last day of the season, it was between them and their biggest rival, River Plate. And River were in the lead, but they lost. And Boca and Carlos Tevez against Gymnasia and Diego Armando, which obviously prompted Carlos Tevez to give him a, a big kiss to say hello, no coronavirus there. Not I just mean, any old kiss, a kiss on the lips. And a long one as well. It was beautiful. And then Carlos Tevez... At 36 years of age, scoring the winner that gives the title to Boca. That is pretty cool. Yeah. That is pretty cool. So, Danny De Rossi's uh, champion as well, then? Well, I mean, he left uh, but he's still Christmas. Yeah. I mean, he's still part of the I team. I don't know what the rule is. It would be his first league title yeah. of his career, having retired, <laughs> what, a couple of months before the, the season ended. Because, you know, I think in certain leagues, you have to play a certain amount of games or be on the bench. For a certain, so, I don't know if he qualifies, but it would be, it would be harsh not to give. Send right. him a medal through the post. It's a fantastic story anyway, because uh, in Argentina and in South America, everyone, everyone thought that the River Plate was going to be the big team of the country for the next three or four years. And I think that this uh, victory of Boca is a turning point as well. And River with Gallardo is doing an excellent job, and in Copa Libertadores we saw that happening as well. Boca was still, and they are still upset about having lost the Copa Libertadores final in Madrid against River, but winning this is a little bit like finding a turning point. Riquelme now is the vice president, so there is like a, this component of an emotional attachment from the vice president to the players and to the club. Carlos Tevez is a player that if you ask anyone in Buenos Aires in December, what do you think about Carlos Tevez's retirement? No one will go to his house saying, Tevez, please don't retire. They, they couldn't care less. Carlos Tevez was so detached from Boca Juniors that he didn't even play that Copa Libertadores final in 2018. And now suddenly he has become the hero. So... I believe that the, a new story can be written now with Boca going back to some basics and to some legends from the past, use them as a catalyzer to start winning again. Interesting. We shall see. Meantime, MLS proceeded with its second round of action. There was more Carlos Vela magic, lovely free kick in uh, Rafa. Tremendous game. You may have missed this one. Uh, LAFC in a 3-3 draw with uh, Philly. Also, this incredible free kick from Jakob Glesnes. He's gone for it. Inter Miami lost again, although they did score a goal this time. And Thierry Henry's Montreal drew 2-2 at Dallas. In the last minute. Was it? Yeah, and Ricardo Pepe, who's just turned 17, scored the goal okay. for Dallas. Uh, Eric Devizi, Den Haag, Pardew's Den Haag. They lost 4-0 at RZ Alkmaar. That even after the Ultras had yeah, uh, yeah. turned up yeah. at training and actually gave them a, a tactics lesson. More tactics, oh, tactical this. instruction than they received yeah. all season. Right. <laughs> what? When was this? I think this was last week. Yeah, there, there, there was this photo of the ultras with uh, with like a uh, not a chalkboard, but yeah, like, but a, like a, a, yeah. a note, a big one of those big notepad things. Right. And they were, you know, sort of scribbling down. Sort of A3 tech, yeah. type. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, right. you know, sort How of, long before he gets sacked? Do you think? I don't know. They're currently seven points from. It'd safety. Be amazing if they Aren't... gave the job to the ultras. <laughs> Some <laughs> said it'd be better than Pardew to be fair. <laughs> Any news of uh, penis getting back into the box? Or? <laughs> I, don't, I don't have any news penis on that, sorry. since that first right. game. Uh, RZ, meanwhile, uh, with that win, stay level with Ajax. The two teams are on the same points, but Ajax are 
plus eight on goal difference. Ajax, who were, Ajax, who were 3-1 winners at Heron Ven. In Portugal, do you remember the other day we were talking about Porto beating Benfica 3-2 and Jules, you said Porto had no chance of winning the title. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Do you know who's top now? Of course, Porto one point clear. Yeah. Benfica have crumbled both in the league and in Europe as well where they, they lost in the Europa League last week. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's quite frightening for a team that hadn't lost until that defeat against Porto. Then since then, it's incredible. Yeah, all it takes one defeat. Mind you, you you're not the only one eating your words, Jules. There's also uh, Badu and Daye in yeah, the yeah. Uh, in in the Turkish Super League. <laughs> the former Stoke City midfielder, for mm-hmm. the ones who remember him, who now plays for Trabzonspor, who got instruction from the coach. You know, as a few coaches do now, the piece of paper, yep. piece of paper passed on to him. So he read it, and then for no one to ever find out what was written on the paper, he ate it. Secret agent style. <laughs> it's That's amazing. So cool. But did he did he kind of chew it up and then spit it out, or did he actually no, ingest? No, it looks like he actually swallowed That's it. Brilliant. That, that is proper. I mean, you can rely on people like him. But what it, kind of information was on that piece of paper? <laughs> that we'll you never need know. To we will never know. <laughs> but as you said, he's forgotten as well now. It's yeah. like you know, no, it's the ultimate professional. I mean, yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's unbelievable. Wow. Oh, Greece, Alvaro. The other day, you were telling us about the plight of Pauk. In yeah. the Greek Super League, what's happened since then? Uh, they got uh, seven points deduction, which uh, you would say, well, that's a tremendous punishment. Well, it's not that much because the regular season is over. Mm-hmm. Pauk was going to be second. With the deduction, it's still second. Okay. And now the playoffs start. So they are still set to try to win the league. Okay. Uh, I've got uh, some penis information for oh, you, yeah, Rafa. Yes. Uh, in my ear. Uh, p- <laughs> penis was out. The penis. Pardew Pard had his penis out this weekend. Right. Yeah. He was suspended. Meantime, in other leagues that you might be curious about, let's go with the Debit Italia after this. Yep, that's the sound of Juve 2 Inter nil in a very empty stadium. The deadlock broken, uh, James, by one Aaron Ramsey. Yeah, Ramsey, who'd end the game with a golden assist. I think uh, Took the ball off Cristiano Ronaldo as well. Yes, as he did in that game against Lokomotiv Moscow, um, when Ronaldo thought he'd got a free kick goal, and Ramsey ended up just prodding it home, just to make sure. But impressive display from him and Bentancur in midfield. Um, the goal came at a good time for, for Juventus, because they were starting to come under some real pressure from Inter, and as soon as they got in front, Inter lost their way a bit, really. And uh, it was interesting seeing how Conte reacted to going behind. He changed the system, which is something that we've seen quite frequently since the January transfer window. They went from 3-5-2 to 4-3-1-2. Eriksen came on first in the 3-5-2, then in the 4-3-1-2. He didn't look like he knew where he was. Didn't really uh, help them change the game back in their favour. And... uh, how did Sarri reply to that? He put on Paolo Dybala and Dybala scored. Dybala destroyed Ashley Young, poor thing. <laughs> twice. Yeah, I think, I think uh, Ashley's still looking for, for Dybala, who, who did him twice. Yeah, yeah and um, Romario-esque goal, I mm. think, from, um, nice. from, from Dybala. About Aaron Ramsey, who was using a slightly different position, Sarri's comments after the game that I think I've almost found my Juve now, I'm wondering if... If so, is that going to be what he's going to do? It's kind of Ramsey, Bentancur, and uh, who else? Well, that? I think the other player who played well last night in midfield was Matuidi. Right. I, think, I thought he was he was very good. The midfield as a whole, which has been criticised a lot this season for not being adapted to 
uh, how Sarri wants his teams to play, I think was uh, one of the real kind of positives um, in the debut Italian. And Juventus have tended to reserve their best performances for this fixture so far this season under Maurizio Sarri. It was true in in, uh, in the reverse fixture. It was true again um, the other night. Um, and yeah, Bonucci and De Ligt played very well as well. And I think it does raise questions about Conte's Inter in that we've seen a, certainly of late teams try and cut the supply line off to Lautaro Martinez and Lukaku and then they become very one-dimensional. They don't really seem to have anything else in contingency to try and alternate their game plan, which I think is why we've seen Inter try to do different things, um, but they're so far unable really to get much going um, to sort of refound this spark that they had going into the winter break. Right, they are now nine points behind Juve with a game in hand. Uh, Ronaldo's scoring streak ending uh, with this. He did uh, found the net in 11 straight games. He was in high spirits anyway, celebrating with Ramsey the opening goal. And also when they, when they got off the coach and there were no fans there to greet them, he did a little playful air high fives and all the imaginary fans as, as he walked down the the entrance towards the uh, the changing rooms. Juve, top of the table, a point clear of Lazio. Milan, who you mentioned at the start, uh, firing uh, one of my Boban, club legend uh, Zvoni, Zorro, fired midweek. Uh, and the club then following that up with a defeat to relegation strugglers Genoa. Yeah, at San Siro as well. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's been a, it's been a tough week um, at Casa Milan. You've obviously seen on Saturday Lombardy being quarantined, um, so you have a state of emergency within the city of itself. You look at what's happened to the club in the last few weeks. Um, Ivan Gazidis gave a, an interview in Gazeta della Sport, feeling he, I think he needed to, because all of these rumours were were coming out about Ralph Ranić and there being a, a split in the club about the direction to take next season. Um, he said we're all on the same page, united front, and then Zvone. Um, without authorization of the club, um, appeared in the same paper a week later saying, um, actually, <laughs> we're not on the same page. You've not, gone behind our backs. the first backs. time he's kicked off a civil war, of course. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but he's gone. Uh, Maldini's position? Well, Maldini's very close to, to, to Boban, and he has also expressed his dissent, um, at the, this idea that uh, Milan will be... Uh, coached by Ralph Raniuk in uh, next season. Um, he said he doesn't think that Raniuk is uh, the right profile for Milan. Um, and so, yeah, from what I can gather, you know, Paolo's, I mean, not just respected as the a legend that he was as a player, but in terms of how he's grown and developed as a director over the last um, 18 months. And that point of view will be taken into consideration. But it's clear that Elliot and Milan want to pivot in a completely different direction to how the the club has been run. Um, Which is not in the necessarily a bad past. thing when you look no, at the track. Who's right and who's wrong? Is Boban a bit of all the not to understand what they're trying to do or is what they're trying to do that is wrong and Boban is right in the sense that... I think for for the players at, uh, at Milan who are now directors, and this, this is true also, we should go back to Leonardo, who was sporting director last year and walked away. And it's also true of Gattuso, who resigned and left a lot of money on the table. For players who played under Berlusconi or in the Berlusconi era, that shift of mentality away from um, we are Milan, let's go out and get the best in the world is not necessarily compatible or realistic in what Milan is in 2020, which is a team that is banned from Europe, is a team that has financial fair play restrictions. They can only spend what they earn. They don't have a stadium that they own. So they have to get smarter. 
um, about how they go about recruiting and assembling a team. Um, and everyone has to be on the same page. And I think that's that's one of the things that, yeah, Boban is a very smart guy. He's a very smart guy. But I think whilst he can understand this pivot, accepting it or being fully on board with it is another thing. Mm. Great win for Genoa, though, who are struggling yeah. to get out of the bottom three. Three wins in four. Yeah, under Davide Nicola, who's going to be doing another bike ride at this rate. <laughs> yes. He was the man well, who... it won't be as far because he's from, I think he's from Turin. Mm. And when he, he performed the greatest of great escapes with Cotone, um, he uh, he cycled, what, the length of Italy, really, to get back home. Whereas Genoa is not too far away from Turin. Alvaro, last week, the Classico put Real Madrid on top of the league. How long did that last? Not much. Seven uh, days. Seven no more days. than seven days. Well, in fact, six, because Barcelona won on Saturday. Yep. And then Real Madrid couldn't, uh, couldn't get the three points at Benito Villamarín. It was a beautiful game, particularly because uh, no midfielders uh, were able to defend. And then it became a really entertaining game between Betis and Real Madrid. Before anything, I have to put a word um, on Nabil Fekir. He's a blessing for a team like Betis. Little Fekir. Jules is busy eating a tangerine, but he just took a little break from his segments there. Nabil Fekir just turns up when he fences like, you know, turning up. Right. Or so when they reminds, reminds me of somebody else. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or, or when the game is at 9 p.m. Ah. Na- Nabil Fekir plays very well those uh, Sunday oh, really? evening games. Yeah. Right. The 9 p.m. slot. He forced a magnificent save from Matiba Courtois, didn't yeah, he? Yes, cool. but generally speaking, it was how clever and quick and uh, tricky he was. And uh, Eder Militao had a terrible time with having to mark uh, Nabil Fekir because Eder Militao is not a right-back and uh, Nabil Fekir did whatever he wanted with him. Wow. Uh, Tiba Courtois, by the way, has now picked up a groin injury and is in doubt for Real Madrid's clash with Man City. Yes, and let's see if he recovers for that game. I think that uh, there is still a chance that he will play against Manchester City. But uh, I think that the worst outcome from Sunday's game was what happened um, with Real Madrid. They totally collapsed. A team that uh, fights so much to regain the leadership in La Liga cannot go to Benito Villamarín and offer that image. They were just uh, outmuscled by Betis. They didn't have the right attitude to play that game. And even Zinedine Zidane, after the game, uh, he said that that was the worst performance of Real Madrid in this season. So, right. And Real Madrid hasn't been particularly good. Whoops, Betis, as you, know, yes. you might say. Uh, Barcelona, two points clear now of them. Underwhelming in their own uh, game, a 1-0 win over Real Sociedad, uh, Leo Messi, uh, converting the penalty to earn the three points. Speaking of Real Sociedad, sorry, Sociedad, how should you say it? Rather? Sociedad. Sociedad. Uh, the All-Basque Copa Final. Wow, how exciting is this? For me, it's really exciting. And for, for the Basque region. For, for the be. Basque region in general, yes, it's unbelievable. It's the first time that happens in history. And is it? Because I heard it was the first time in 93 years since uh, Real Union yeah. faced Arenas de Getxco. Yeah, that's why. This is the first Athletic de Bilbao Real Sociedad ah, the Final. Time. These two teams. Yeah, okay, these right. two teams, yeah. And... Athletic de Bilbao has won this competition 23 times. What? So in the past, wow. they were called uh, the king of the cup. Right. Yeah. The, the and, king uh, of the king cup. Th- yeah, but wow. Barcelona, Barcelona, nice. Barcelona overtook Athletic de Bilbao in the last decade uh, sure. when it comes to 
Cup titles. And uh, the game is going to be played on the 18th of April in Sevilla, yeah, a neutral go, venue. Are you going to go along? I will see if I can go. Number okay. one, we have to see if the game is going to be played uh, behind closed doors right. or not. Or not, because the Spanish FA hasn't said anything about it. I will do my best to, to be there, obviously. Okay. Even though the tickets are limited, there are 22,000 for every club and then 11,000 for the Spanish FA. So, in total, it will be 55,000. <laughs> 50, 55, <laughs> right. And Athletic de Bilbao has like 35,000 uh, season ticket holders and Real Sociedad as well. So, it's going to be really difficult to get a ticket for that game. Alvaro, as an Athletic fan... Hmm. What do you think of when you think of Real Sociedad? I, you know, there is a very nice rivalry between these two clubs. I mean, I don't dislike Real Sociedad, even though many people from Bilbao dislike Real Sociedad. And the relationship between the clubs were was quite bitter in the late 90s when Athletic de Bilbao signed Echeverria from Real Sociedad at the age of 17. Maybe you remember this guy. He yes. played for the Spanish national team about 50 games. So the relationship between the clubs is good. The supporting groups of Athletic de Bilbao and Real Sociedad, uh, they've got, uh, I would say, that a really, really calm, nice relationship. What, what does someone from Bilbao think of someone from San Sebastian? Yeah, yeah. Come on, be honest. I, you know, oh, it's, it's you I, I, no, I think that Real Sociedad is uh, it's a club that I want them to win the top flight because normally I love the Basque Derby, obviously. And I think that they are just soft. Athletic Bilbao is stronger. Ah, here we go. The, the, uh, historically, historically, Real Sociedad is always a bit softer. Soft, the Athletic de Bilbao. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's what you mean. <laughs> I say soft. Yeah, <laughs> but I I believe that uh, the final is going to be is going to be really beautiful. There will be this uh, silly controversy again about uh, booing the Spanish anthem before the game, right. because the crowd is going to be Basque, and. Put together two cities that uh, between them both they have uh, sent to the Spanish national teams more players than any other wow. provinces in Spain, Bilbao and San Sebastián. Mm -hmm. Those two areas produce plenty of footballers and I find it quite unbelievable that in 80 years of Spanish football history they haven't played the final against each other in the Spanish Cup. Wow, this time around they're going to be basking in glory. Jules, you just found a video for us that you're very excited about. No, I'm not. He was no, looking for that for ages. He certainly was. What happens? It's relating to Portuguese football. Yeah, it's only in the sporting uh, CD uh, Avesh game on at the weekend. Uh -huh. uh, Vendel, the sporting midfielder, right. during the game had like a challenge from an opposition player and the, his short was pulled with his uh, boxer short underneath. What? He, it, it, everything? Yeah, yeah. He revealed the... The, the tackle? Know, yeah, the... Yeah. Okay. And it was pretty impressive. That's all. Okay. Talking about penis, uh, you know, uh, Den Haag. Yeah. We saw a real one this weekend on a football pitch. And yeah, good on Vendel. In Germany, Rafa. Hey, Schalke took on Hoffenheim. Uh, were there any more protests? There were protests, um, but they weren't of the insulting variety. So there was very little anti-hop stuff. Mm. The Dortmund fans actually did sing their uh, little ditty uh, with with Hop and his mother and all this kind of stuff. But it was not a <laughs> yeah, but it was not a graphic presentation. There were no banners oh, okay. as such, and uh, the banners that were held up were critiquing the German FA. We're critiquing some of the reactions to the ultra protests, making some very salient points about um, double standards when it comes to Qatar. 
and values and uh, even making a political point that uh, by an ultras fan saying, well, who do we have to insult for the EU border policy to be debated? Um, making two points at one, really. One is the refugee crisis in, in Greece and Turkey, but the other one is that the fact that the game against Hoffenheim uh, was interrupted actually brought a lot of attention now they've used this attention in a in a sort of more creative and and uh, more acceptable fashion but there's also a danger that people would just say well as long as the game isn't really influenced you know who cares really what kind of flags and banners they're holding up it's easier to dismiss as a protest because it doesn't really interfere with the game as such so i think this is not quite over yet okay uh is the German title race over now? You've got Bayern Munich four points clear, Rafa. Yeah, I mean, I think it might be over for Leipzig. Uh, they stumbled um, again. Uh, we talked about it earlier. Um, Gladbach lost as well. I don't think they were ever realistic challengers. Leverkusen might be. Um, they're very, very strong. I think it's now 8-10 and 10 for them, as far as wins is concerned. And Peter Bosch uh, pulling their act together. And also um, Kai Havertz really returning to his his very best. He was majestic again, uh, both in uh, Europe and domestically. But Dortmund, I think, feel that with the, well, potentially with the game at home being uh, in early April, that if they keep it to four points, they have a, have a good chance. The question is, what will happen in early April? Will the game go ahead? Will there be a crowd? It might not be a big advantage after all. So mm, they look like the only team at the moment who can really uh, keep pace with Bayern. A Bayern team that kind of went through the motions and didn't really do a lot against Augsburg and very nearly punished, but in the end kind of just, just had enough. 2-0 um, the win. Lovely opening goal, burting over the top to Thomas Muller. Yeah, and the second was to substitute uh, Leon Goretzka, who's very unhappy about being a substitute these days, but... Thomas Müller is in great form and uh, Coutinho is doing just enough, well enough to stay in the side. So uh, Goretzka has to make do with some bit parts. But Bayern, even when they're bad, are now winning games, which right. is the big difference to the time under Niko Kovac when they were bad, they were losing games. What did you make of their kit, Bayern's kit? It was a special 120th anniversary outing thing. Yeah, um, it's not bad. Um I like the colours. It's kind of this this uh, Bordeaux. So it's, like a, it's like a white T-shirt with kind of Bordeaux sleeves. Yeah, and this yeah. is how the the first Bayern Munich team is that right? played. Hmm. Uh, but they also did this Adidas thing where they basically mute the logos and make them white on white or black on black. And I'm not quite sure it really works uh, this effectively uh, for this for this shirt. But yeah, it's okay. Okay. After this, France. On Spotify, smart speaker and podcast platforms everywhere, this is the Totally Football Show from Muddy Knees Media. Big game at the Velodrome Friday, Jules, featuring four goals, AVB having a meltdown and a player in a swimming cap. Indeed, yeah. Pipa Benedetto, who um, had a curtain in the back of his head, which James Horncastle was really laughing out on Friday night, sending us photos. A cut in his... uh, Yeah, and I don't know why. I mean, no one knows really why... You know, but usually they, you know, they, they put bandage and then you've got, you, I mean, you've never seen a swimming hat on a football pitch, right? No. So, but Marseille. I loved it. Very innovative, right. yeah. Not that well, he the made. Croatian Bene- fans sometimes wear them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, helmets, that's true. Yeah. But that's a proper, like, you know, yeah, like, like, a, like you a know, blue like, one. Yeah. yeah, the blue ones, uh, which made it look pretty cool. But Anyway, Marseille were doing, lo- they, they were 
They were 2-0 up uh, were cruising, in the 85th yeah. minute, all sorted. And then they... Took they, a dive. <laughs> they took a dive. <laughs> exactly. And oh, right. um, then Jordan Amabi gave away a penalty. Which AVB was not happy with. Right. At all. And, and then a whole bunch of time added on gets allowed. What, night five minutes? Yeah, five minutes. And we're into the, the last of that. Literally the last kick of the game. And Amiens, who had been in dreadful form, fighting against relegation, leveled the score to 2-2. Two, two. And then AVB goes mad, goes onto the pitch. Right. Now, I mean, to, to be fair to Andre, uh, the goal scorer, Saman Godos, yeah. uh, the Iranian, yeah. he basically fouled. There's a clash with one of the Marseille players and down the, the other yeah, end. The way they recovered the ball. Yeah. There, there's a bit of. It, it, yeah, it could have been given as a foul. And then on right. the counter attack, four passes. Marseille should have never considered that goal anyway. Mm. But AVB is right. It could have been easily cancelled through VAR for that initial foul. And then he gets a red. He gets a red, he goes mad, confronts the referee, accuse him to have not given a penalty in the reverse fixture mm. a few months ago. And then he gets one yellow and then a second yellow. And then even after the game on French television, he was still arguing. But look, I was right. I, I, you know, I did this. We don't know exactly what he said. And his ban will depend a lot on exactly the words he used against the referee. And that would be in the, uh, in the, in the referee's report. He's frustrated because the team is not as efficient as he used to in the first half of the season. They've only beat uh, Toulouse at home in 2020, which pretty much even the Tony Football Show would be Toulouse right now. That's, that's, that's what they do. They lose games. And it's just not good enough for Marseille. And now behind them, mm. Lille and Rennes are coming back yeah. 6.7 points. And they have to be very careful. Elsewhere, no PSG, but they know now that they're going to be facing Claude Puel's Saint-Étienne in the French Cup final. Yes, first final for Saint-Étienne in 38 years. A bit like Bilbao and... They, they used to be the, the club with the most wins in the, in the cup when they were very good. And the last final was 1982 against PSG. And they lost at the Parc des Princes against PSG on penalties, which was PSG's first French Cup win. Uh, and then since then, PSG have gone on to win many more than Saint-Étienne. So it would be big for them and all their fans would, well, again, if the game... Uh, if it happens. Yeah, if it happens, if. if it's not behind closed door. But it would be really harsh on the very amazing... Saint-Étienne fans who then couldn't travel to Paris for the game. Absolutely. Next weekend, PSG are due to be facing Nice, Patrick Vieira's Nice, who had a come-from-behind win against Monaco in the, what should be the Riviera derby. Yes, yeah, the Mediterranean derby, Riviera derby. And they played really well in the second half. Kasper Dolberg scored two goals. He's up to 11 now Mm. for the season. Five in the last... ever since he got his watch back? Yes, he's... That incredible incident. That was a sad story. That was such a sad story. And... uh, he, again, was interviewed after the game, didn't look that chuffed, but I don't think he's one that expresses many feelings. But two very good finishes, especially the second one with the outside of his, of his left foot, one touch, he was pretty impressive. And, and for Monaco, it's going to be hard now to finish in the top three and qualify for Champions League next season. What is the perception um, about Robert Moreno? He's done some really good things and you could see what the team is trying to do and the kind of football he wants to play. He's still very young and... Mm-hmm. He's very interesting when he speaks in his press conference and his interviews uh, for someone who comes out of nowhere, really, you know, who's never a football player, like a professional football player. It's, it's an incredible story. And I think he will be good there when he has the whole preseason to work with. He can do the transfers and everything. He just arrived at a time where he was quite challenging for Monaco. Thanks, Jules. Uh, still to come, we're going to have a quick think about some of the exciting clashes in the Europa League. And also, somebody wake up, Rafa. It's time to answer your Twitter questions. What? First, what? What? First, it's Paddy Power. Merci, Jimbo, and bonjour, Lee Price from Paddy Power, and indeed you too, listeners. Lee, let's please start with PSG versus Dortmund in the Champions League on Wednesday night. Is it going to happen? 
Can the Parisians finally do it in the knockout stages? Mm, this one's tougher to predict than which PSG player is going to throw a sulk next. Actually, that's a terrible analogy for me. Yet again, it's always going to be Neymar, isn't it? But our traders go odds on that PSG win on the night. That's 8-13. to 13. With a draw or Dortmund win, both priced at 7-2. to two, And each of those eventualities, of course, are enough to see the Germans go through. However, despite all the evidence over recent years, we're back in the French team. It's 4-5 to five PSG qualify here. We're hardly saying job done, though. It's evens that Dortmund go through, meaning this one's on a real knife edge. Enjoy. All right, sticking with Dortmund, they're up to second in the Bundesliga, but is it still Bayern's title to lose? It makes me sad. Title races have fallen left, right and centre across Europe, aren't they? And this is yet another league where our traders are close to closing the book, it seems. Bayern Munich are 1-5 to five to win the title. When did that happen? If you do think that Dortmund can close a four-point gap, and let's face it, it wouldn't be the biggest point swing on top of the Bundesliga this season, we offer odds of 5-1 to one that BBB finish top of the tree. And Leipzig, remember them? They're 8-1 to one to be champions. And finally, enough of this Champions League nonsense. Let's talk about the real competition in Europe, the Europa League. Last 16 stage, who's going to be lifting that big trophy in Gdansk? I'm glad you said the venue rather than me. No, thank you. Uh, we go for a team here with a track record in the Europa League. Checks notes. Oh, Manchester United. Solskjaer's men are 7-2 favourites, narrowly ahead of Inter, who are 4-1. The Italians suddenly rather short of domestic distractions, unlike United. And there's been a lot of interest in Wolves, despite the fact they only have like 10 players or something. They're now third favourites to win the competition at 6-1. And just finally, Sevilla, synonymous with this competition, are 7-1. You can find out these odds and more at paddypower.com or the Paddy Power app. Prices are accurate at the time of recording. It's over 18's only. Terms and conditions apply and when the fun stops, stop. Joe Breton says, how will, ooh, how will playing games behind closed doors affect FFP? Will UEFA legislate for a loss in matchday revenue? Good question. So this was put to Andre Agnelli at the FT Business Summit Summit Football last week Mm. when he made a quite controversial comment about Atalanta and whether they should be in the Champions League or not. What what, what, what was that? Did you not see this? No. (laughs) They shouldn't be there. Shame. You have one good season, you should not be in the Champions League. So it should be based on a coefficient or something. He said, uh, Atalanta, I mean, we're paraphrasing here, but they don't have a great European history. And then I look at a team like Roma. Right. who got into the Champions League semi-final right. um, two years ago, and they have really helped us keep our efficient, coefficient high. And yeah, should they be left out of the uh, competition? I th- you know, with all the financial repercussions would come with that? Well, that's sporting meritocracy, Andrea. Yes. And, that's what sports um, is about, right? And, and but, he, was, yeah. he was showing much more solidarity with the teams like Celtic, Porto. He was basically well, defending those clubs and saying that they should be in Champions League because they don't make enough domestic revenue from right. television. I could see his point, which was badly articulated, as it relates to, say, Ajax, because this is the big problem that he is trying to face, which is... Um, Ajax reach the Champions League semi-final they win their league they win their cup and they have to go through qualifying to get into the group stage of the Champions League that's that's wrong and I think if he was to compare that with Atalanta finishing well they actually finished third but I think he was suggesting a team that finishes fourth in one of Europe's top five leagues and automatically gets into the group stages that's wrong it's also what you kind of lobbied for (laughs) (laughs) to to protect to protect your uh, revenue streams but anyway, he did address this point, James. We digressed. Right. He was asked about that and he said, I think it's a good idea 
that uh, UEFA take into account um, loss of match day revenue um, and ticket receipts when it comes to calculating their their financial fair play. They might go on projected projected uh, revenue Maybe from Man City. Yeah. Then they were like, "Oh yeah, this was fifty million that game against Real Madrid. That was fifty <laughs> five million. They even. would never do that. No, that's true. That's Please true. come on." Dean Poole asks, "Will Honigstein be updating Bring the Noise or releasing something new to cover this season?" Rafa, you got something new in the works? Uh, something new, possibly Ooh. an update, Whoa. definitely. Oh, it lovely! Could be, it could be two. It could be, yeah. Oh my god! Amazing! It's a possibility. Tony Robertson, if they cancel the leagues I'm or cha- do Klopp cookbook, yeah, Klopp business book, gym, Klopp yeah. the children's gym. book, no. Klopp clever the gym, how to lose weight. <laughs> <laughs> Tony Robertson, if they cancel the leagues and Champions League before the end of the season, and we move to having the results decided by current managers playing the remaining fixtures on FIFA or preferably Pro Evo, who would win the Champions League? Tony suggests Simeone with Atletico. Nagelsmann would win it. Would he? Is I he very good? So. Is that a fact? Yeah, I think. So. Well, he is the youngest, yeah, and right. he's probably played most. Rob M. What has happened to Alexis Sanchez since leaving Arsenal? It appears Inter have now had enough of him too. I had enough of him. Um, I think he's actually played quite well or did at the start of the season. Then he got sent off and then got injured on international duty. Um, I think at the moment it looks like he would be returned to sender, A, because of wages and B, because he's just not impacting games. Mm. Um, And that was the case um, the other night. And also, you know, Conte just kind of really... I mean, this was a surprise. Fabio Capello made this point on on TV after watching Conte's post-match interview. Conte basically called into question the character of his players when he was asked, you know, sort of, what are you missing? And he's like, well, some of the players have kind of got it. Some of the players haven't. And Capello was like, well, that's a weird thing to say. Yeah, after, after a loss, you need to be picking your team up. I remember we lost to Milan when I was coach of Roma and I went into the dressing room straight afterwards and I said... That convinces me we're going to win the league this year. And what uh, happened? They won the league. There you go. But yeah, Conte not seem to only, inspire his players. Though. Only one thing on a, on Alexis. I don't know if he's playing the amount of games that he pe- he played in the past. But uh, I was writing an article on Alexis Sanchez some time ago, and from August 2013 until July 2017, he played 256 games. Wow. Yeah. Four summers straight playing football, mm-hmm. Confederations Cups. Three Copa America and a World Cup. Yeah, for a, you're absolutely right. For a long time, he was an absolute machine. Now, mm-hmm. barely gets a run out. Seeing them given, one for Honigstein. Is Schmidt unlucky to lose his job at Augsburg? Not really. I mean, he's only unlucky in as far as that Augsburg's performance was, was very creditable. Mm. And they did restrict Bayern to a few chances and they could have nicked a result. I personally think, having heard from people at the club already like 10 days ago, that this was more as an excuse to fire him. They were going to lose against Bayern. So I think the termination was scheduled for this week. And he's not unlucky in the sense that I don't think that Augsburg have done really enough. They've been okay at times playing some some all rightish stuff. But I think Schmidt now with consecutive teams has not quite managed to convince people that he does more than being a great motivator and, and uh, somebody who gets his team running and, and fighting. He, the footballing side of it is just a little bit lacking, I think. Augsburg currently lying down in 14th place, five points above the relegation playoff 
position. Europa League coming up on Thursday. Alvaro, no, there isn't a goal show, I'm afraid, which means that you have to basically select which game you want to watch, unless you're going to go multi-screen on that. Biotch. You have four games kicking off at five to six, and then another four at eight o'clock. Which one should everybody watch? These are the four afternoon games. Eintracht Frankfurt, Basel, Basaksha here, Copenhagen, uh, Lask against Man United, and Sevilla Roma. Be the Monchi Derby. Monchi Derby, oh, Sevilla Roma? Yes. Of course. Yes, yes. All right. And then in the evening, ooh, this is tough. Inter against Getafe, that's behind closed doors. Mm-hmm. A fascinating stylistic clash. <laughs> uh, Rangers against Bayer Leverkusen. That should be, actually be really good fun. Really? Yeah, Leverkusen, um, very much the form team with the majestic Kai Havertz in full pomp. Mm. Looking good. I mean, they made such light work of Porto, which was really impressive, I thought. And Rangers will have their work cut out to keep them quiet. Rangers have got back to winning ways with a 1-0 win away at Ross County at the weekend. The other games Thursday evening are Olympiakos Wolves, which could be interesting, no? Yeah, away in Greece as well. Another all-Portuguese manager derby, that one. Indeed. Mm-hmm. Indeed. And uh, Wolfsburg Shakhtar. Yeah, Shakhtar who knocked out Benfica. It's also, it's also a game. Mm-hmm. Wolfsburg's a match taking place at 8 o'clock. Nice. Also on Thursday, Tony Football Show will return to react to whatever happens in the Champions League. So do make sure you join us for that, a listener. And then, of course, the Euro gang will be back next Tuesday for all your continental info needs. Alvaro, thank you for being with us today. Thank you. Rafa, lovely to see you. Julianne, James Horncastle, you you listener. Uh, We'll see you Thursday, I hope. And for now, from all of us here... It's goodbye. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, a Muddy Knees Media production. For sales and advertising, please email sales at muddykneesmedia.com. Keep up to date with everything across our Totally Football network at The Totally Show on Twitter. And make sure you check out our brand new website too, thetotallyfootballshow.com. listeners i'm caroline barker host of the totally football league show i'm joined each week by sam parkin say hello sam hi caroline by adrian clark say hello adrian hello and the bolton wanderers fan too not adrian but joe critty looking forward to league two yes <laughs> each week we go head first into the efl to bring you the latest from the pitches to the next crisis to whatever ian holloway has said now from leeds to luton sunderland to plymouth swindon to stevenage and everything in between if it's the EFL you want, we've got you covered, haven't we, Ollie? Just a spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down. <laughs> Your guess is as good as ours. That's the Totally Football League show out every Wednesday. In the most delightful way. It's brilliant. I just love it. Muddy News Media. <laughs>